This is the Marketing Podcast Network. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, the podcast that introduces you to the rich world of storytellers who share their personal journeys, creative processes, and the stories behind their stories, one conversation at a time. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and I'm thrilled to be part of your writing journey. If you're an aspiring writer, a literary enthusiast, or simply someone who believes in the transformative power of words, you've come to the right place. Every week, we'll pop the cork on the world of successful storytellers and give you a healthy pour of inspiration, insight, and empowerment. My mission is to help writers like you realize your full potential through the transformative and therapeutic power of writing. Whether you're just starting your literary voyage or looking to refine your craft, I'm here to provide you with the knowledge, inspiration, and encouragement you need to embark on your own storytelling adventure. So, are you ready to uncork your story and let your creativity flow? Uncorking a Story is about to begin. Sit back, relax, and let the transformative magic of storytelling whisk you away. Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Well, hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to have you with me as we dive into another great story to uncork. I want to remind you to please follow Uncorking a Story on all social media platforms, including Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, hell, I'll throw TikTok in there. We're at Uncorking a Story on all of those platforms. Quick note on YouTube, it's been a great growth vehicle for the show. Very happy about that. Very happy that it's helping me monetize Uncorking a Story because I've got three kids in college, people. And uh, your listening uh, is helping me uh, in a very small way. I think the money so far I've made on the show has, has, has bought a book, maybe one textbook and a pencil. Um, you know, maybe, maybe one of those pens, you know, with the, with the multiple, you know, clickers on it for the different colors. I think maybe I've been able to, uh, afford one of those. And truth be told, I, I really don't do this for the money, everybody. It's, uh, it's not why most people get into podcasting. Anyway, it is a fun way. YouTube is a fun way for me to connect with the audience too. It's also a great way for listeners to connect with each other. I've seen you uh, engaging with other people and and talking about guests and and making fun of me and and all the jokes I I mutter that that and ads of of my guests. Um, it happens oftentimes. Um, but seriously, please uh, continue to follow. Today on the show, very special guest Richard Deming. He's the director of creative writing at Yale University. You may have heard of Yale University. I've been to Yale University. I didn't study there, but I've been there. And frankly, I don't see what the the hubbub is about, about New Haven pizza. I mean, as somebody who grew up on New York pizza with an Italian grandmother, you know, we, we like the, the Neapolitan style. Um, I don't like the, the burnt taste to New Haven pizza, but, but whatever. I mean, every, you know, we're not going to get into a pizza argument on this show. Um, to each their own, but um, I'm just expressing my preference for New York pizza. You know, you can put that in the in the YouTube comments. Uh, but Richard's got a new book out called "This Exquisite Loneliness: What Loners, Outcasts, and Misunderstood Can Teach Us About Creativity." And <laughs> I think it's a timely subject. Like how I coughed into the microphone there. Um, it's a timely subject, um, especially this time of year. Now we're we're bombarded with images of people who are gathering together, they're socializing, they're having a good time. And those of us who may be more introverted or, or maybe just less social, you know, might feel like there's something wrong with us for not seeing ourselves in those scenes, you know, and what makes it worse is we get hit by other messages. Like, you know, if you feel lonely or depressed, take this pill to feel better, you know, a pill, a pill is going to make you feel better. You know, never mind the, the other side effects you're getting from that pill. You know, they, they always list like a ton of side effects that are so much less desirable than than loneliness. But I digress. You know, then, then you've got other people who say, 
uh, you know, if you find, if you just find the right person, you won't feel so lonely. Well, yeah, that's not always true either. You know, some of us, you know, might have spouses or partners and, and still feel lonely. You know, it's not the presence of someone else in your life that matters with regards to loneliness. You know, the, the predictor of, of not feeling loneliness is really the depth of connection and the level of intimacy you have with that other person or those other people. That's what's going to help you feel less alone. Now, intimacy is a whole other topic, um, and that, that's a topic for another day. And, and we'll have someone on the show soon to talk about intimacy. Um, but, uh, but I digress. Um, here's my take on loneliness. Cause you haven't asked, uh, being lonely is okay. You know, it's a very human response to something that's real. It's not a condition that needs to be fixed. In fact, loneliness can fuel creativity as today's guest, Richard Deming points out. But of course, you know, chronic loneliness can have negative effects on, you know, physical and mental well-being. And if, you know, you're experiencing that and it becomes overwhelming or persistent, you know, you may want to seek the help of friends, family or a mental health counselor, professional. Um, but ultimately, it's it's the key. I think the key in life, especially for us writers, is to strike a balance between spending time alone, which is so important for the writing process. Um, that time alone for self-reflection is critical. It's like fuel for for what we do. But you're not going to balance Spending that alone time or finding that alone time and having that alone time and seeking connection with other people for social support. You know, everybody, the, the thing is, everybody experiences loneliness at some point in time. You know, it doesn't make you a bad person. There's nothing wrong with you for experiencing loneliness. But, but you know, if, if, you, if you do have it, if it is impacting your life, um, you know, it is essential to take steps to address it. So that that's my take. But but, you know, again, if, if you are someone and I know a lot of writers are introverted, we, we tend to keep to ourselves sometimes we like our alone time. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, just think about it in a positive way. It could be good fuel for your creations. So I'm going to get off my soapbox now so we can go forth and uncork Richard Deming's story. Richard Deming is an award-winning poet and critic whose work explores the intersections of literature, philosophy, and visual culture. He's the author of five books, including Day for Night and Art of the Ordinary. Richard teaches at Yale University, where he is the director of creative writing, and joins me today on Uncorking a Story to discuss his latest book, This Ex Exquisite Loneliness, What Loners, Outcasts, and the Misunderstood Can Teach Us About Creativity. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Richard. Hi, Mike. It's great to be here. I'm a big fan. Oh, I'm a I'm I'm destined to become a fan of yours. Um, but any fan of me uh, is if, if I'm a fan of in my book. I don't know. I just really botched that one. Uh, <laughs> Richard, I, I always like to start from uh, the beginning of people's uh, journey as writers. So where does your story as a writer begin? Um, I mean, it's a really interesting, but uh, for me, kind of Im impossibly difficult question to answer um, <laughs> because that that suggests that it was um, at all any kind of plan or that I had any sense of it. Um, I don't, I, you know, so I don't really have necessarily like a clear origin story. Like, you know, I looked across the room and there was a pen and our eyes locked and we, we met and I started writing. Um, you know, I, yeah, really, I mean, I, kind of um uh modulated into it um i had been i think more serious as a musician for a long time um and there just came a time when i had to like move into into writing um I, well i didn't have to i had to move out of music i had to move out of studying music very seriously and then i left music altogether and in a really kind of fraught time, I found that like reading was really the thing that I was uh, needing and connecting to. And it was, you know, being in the company of voices of uh, and, and minds that were trying to struggle with, you know, what it means to be human and try to figure that out and, and how to live an honorable life. And um, I think some part of me just wanted to be part of that conversation. Uh, and I wanted to, in, in essence, 
you know, have a conversation with things I was reading. And I think I wanted to move uh, other people the way I was moved by the things that I was reading. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that was really more or less less it like you know i just wanted it it's sort of like hearing a great song and really being moved and wanting to sing along with it and be part of it yeah um and then all kinds of things radiate outward from that and i think that's that was really where i was more uh more con not con not intentional about it but but conscious of it why did you feel like you had to, to put music behind and, and how old were you when you made that, that, that decision? Uh, well, I left like studying music pretty seriously when I was about 21 or 22. Um, and I was at music school and things like that. And, um, I then went into just studying English cause I'd always been sort of good at it. Uh, and, uh, then I was still in music for a while and just, you know, there was this moment where I had a really clear, I was in a band that was doing really well and poised to do, you know, really well. And um, then just the business side really reared its ugly head. And I thought, oh, music business, it's more business than music. And it wasn't really uh, what I wanted to do. And, and the music, doing music also, like, had always been very... Um, had it always been sort of like outward or externally projected in, in part because that was, you know, people had, I think, started in some ways to pay attention to me because I was a musician. And where I came from, it was really the only place that one could be kind of an intellectual was like in music. Like if you talked about heady music that like and I don't mean like Arnold Schoenberg, I mean like Rush, like you could talk about that stuff and get away with it um but you you shouldn't talk about shakespeare and um so when i uh was really sort of casting around i knew that there was some part of me like i said wanted to be um living an, an artistic life whatever that meant um and and writing i think because it was generated by me reading these books and it being a kind of personal um, a personal experience that it kind of went from inside out rather than outside in. And mm -hmm. so that just felt healthier to me. Um, and just really, you know, um, in the long run, probably, you know, I don't, I don't think there are a lot of ways that I'm, I really, I wouldn't have survived myself if I had stayed in music. Um, so I, it was the right decision and I've never really looked back ultimately. I wouldn't do it differently, but I also, you know, I, I don't really miss being in the music world. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it, I think it's one of those worlds that sounds, you know, really exciting and sexy. And I'm sure that there are, are parts of it that are very exciting and sexy, but, but on the flip side of it, you know, most bands that we see, um, who have quote unquote made it, you don't see the struggle leading up to that point. You know, you don't see the, you know, playing, you know, 12 shows a week, you know, sometimes to maybe two or three people in, in a bar somewhere. Um, you know, you see the success, you don't see the struggle. And, and I know you're not really lamenting the struggle more, maybe more of the business side of things and, and how you know, that, that could be certainly, unhealthy and and you know i'm sure there is an unhealthy lifestyle associated with that there um but tell me about like when you when you turn to writing and you turn to well reading and writing um what were some of the things that you you know were first interested in writing about well i mean i first um i mean i think i wrote some stories that weren't particularly very good but i you know it was really poetry um, that had been super important to me. Um, and only because it was, um, I mean, I think it was a step from, you know, I had been able to write lyrics for bands and things like that. And so it was a sort of step that was a pretty easy step for me to take. Um, and I think with poetry, it was, uh, there was a lot of ways that it was, 
um, sort of experiential philosophy. I mean, I, I was reading a lot of poetry that that was people trying to, you know, grapple um, with being in the world and um, and that the poetry is the an enactment of that struggle. Like it's the thinking on the page. It's the voice of a person you know, very often. Um, and, um, and it also really allowed me to, to, I think that there's a way that I've always, um, always been sort of unsure that what I mean is what anyone else means. Mm -hmm. And that I, I'm unsure if I understand what anyone else means when they say something. And so like, it's night, you know, I liked to be able to put that kind of pressure on every word and let, Every word just kind of have multiple, find a way to, to have words have multiple meanings. Yeah. Um, and not in an obscure way, but just like that if you hit this word differently, it has a completely different meaning. And I wanted to, I wanted to do that. And it felt like, it felt like language that was, you know, always aware of itself as a struggle for, for meaning, um, which seemed, you know, kind of my, where I was, where I was at and where I am at that, you know, struggle to have meaning. Yeah. Um, when uh, did you um, come up with the idea for this book? And actually, why don't we watch well, probably take a step back and tell me what you can um, about, about your latest, uh, this is Quizlet Loneliness. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a book about uh, loneliness. Uh, spoiler. I mean, it's in the title. <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> I gave it away. Uh, you know, Moby Dick was a whale and everyone dies. Um, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I uh, had, I mean, there's a lot of like ways that it had different kind of, different kinds of entry points. Um, what, uh, the main thing is that I had been, you know, chronically lonely all my life and, you know, that's despite having a, you know, a long and loving marriage and friends and, um, you know, colleagues that I like and, and, you know, I, you know, all those markers and yet, you know, periodically feeling a real loneliness and um, that I was finding it becoming sort of unconsciously, but increasingly a part of the things that I would write like my last book of poems, Day for Night, I had sent it around to a number of people, you know, to, you know, get their feedback and, you know, sort of test drive it before I sent it to my publisher. And they were getting all these notes back about, wow, this is really, you know, a beautiful lyric meditation on loneliness. And I was really, I, no, I didn't know that. Um, and then I had started to write about other things that it was sort of clearly in that, in that mode. Um, but the real sort of, there are two like kind of really, um, points of, of it beginning. And one was, and I talk about this in the very beginning of the book and it's, um, uh, you, well, yeah, you asked about writing. So this is going to be a little bit of a digression, but I find that most of my writing has to do, it's like, it is a conversation. It's a conversation with myself or with somebody else. So it's very rarely like, let me sit down and tell you a story. So when you say, what's your writing story? Like that to me is huge and kind of frightening. Um, I don't, I, it's too big. Um, but I can respond to things and I can respond to question, like, like a question. And so I was writing this essay about um, the film Synecdoche, New York by Charlie Kaufman, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman. And it's a really beautiful movie. It's about loss and grief and loneliness. And in the middle of writing it, uh, a friend of mine called and said, you know, he's dead. And I said, well, who's, who's dead? I didn't know what he was talking about. Um, and he said that that guy you're writing about Philip Seymour Hoffman and, you know, Hoffman had um, like myself and my friend who had called me struggled with um, addiction and substance abuse. And uh, all of us uh, had been in recovery a long time. And um, Hoffman had, you know, had 
um, sort of lost his way and he dies of an overdose and it alone. And, and it got me to thinking about the real stakes of loneliness. Like that, that is, that is one of the stakes of loneliness is, is that kind of end. And I really wanted to, um, to really address it and acknowledge it because loneliness is something that people, including myself, have real difficulty talking about. Like there's a lot of shame, a lot of stigma attached to it. Even more, very often, some researchers have found even more than than um, uh, depression, uh, which has a lot of stigma as well. Um, but loneliness is even keener for, for most people. Um, so I really wanted to think about that and, and kind of, I knew that I wanted to write about it and ask questions about it. And then just as I was sort of beginning and thinking, well, what could this be? I had dinner with a dear friend who sadly recently passed and we were, we were at dinner and she was a poet, well-known poet. And we were talking about poetry and I'm a fan of, of movies, particularly horror movies. We were talking about that a bit. She's less of a fan. And then she said, Oh, I grew up on Long Island. And she said, I, I would go to Rockaway Beach. And I said, Oh, you must love the Ramones. And she said, Why? I said, Oh, because they have that great song, Rockaway Beach. And I started to sing it. And she laughed and she said, Poetry, I get. Then there are films, horror films, but the Ramones too. <laughs> you must be very lonely much of the time. You know, and she's in a very loving way. She was like, how do you, how does someone have these kinds of interests? And like, then who do you talk to that is sort of similarly wired? And that was the sense of like, oh yeah, I I, I do feel that way. I do feel, uh, and it's not unique. I mean, I think a lot of people feel that way. And so, but I knew that like that moment of sort of being seen in my loneliness uh made me think this yes there is something here that i i think could be of use to other people um and i i you know i wanted to so so the book itself is me um talking about my own experiences with loneliness and some of that has to do with my um substance abuse and addiction when i was younger and um, but also really wanting to bring in other figures. And so there's a lot of like basically biographies of loneliness uh, of uh, the psychoanalyst Melanie Klein, the uh, novelist uh, Zora Neale Hurston, um, the philosopher and critic Walter Benjamin, the photographer Walker Evans, the painter Aegon Sheila, um, television writer Rod Serling, and the photographer Walker Evans. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to see them as ways of talking about different facets or aspects of loneliness that I couldn't get to just on my own or through my own story. When when you start, it sounds like you start on this topic, it, like it's like coming from from inside you, right? So you, you're experiencing loneliness, and you mentioned you know even being in a in a long marriage sometimes feel lonely. Um, but it's like, it's almost like you're exploring it almost for yourself. And then you're, you're bringing these other people in as if to say, Hey, look, you know, this, this isn't unique to me. And, you know, for other people who were reading this, this may not be unique to you. Uh, It's not unique to you. Um, but you're not trying to solve for loneliness, right? I mean, it's, it's almost like all of these creative people that, that you mentioned, it's almost like they can use loneliness as a superpower to fuel like their creation is, am I understand? Am I putting the pieces together right on that or, or am I off somewhere? Yeah, no, I think, I think that you're, I think that you're right. I mean, I think that like, um, well, you know, Mike, I think it's a little like podcasting. <laughs> um, if I can, <laughs> Because, you know, here you are week after week, you know, talking to people um, and then putting it out in the world. And and what it is, is a sort of like ongoing um, incremental conversation that, you know, I think people understand that there's an audience and that you're doing with an audience in mind. But it's a lot of work and you 
must be getting a lot out of it or something out of it that that fulfills a need in you. Yes. And we're not talking monetary benefit. I just want to be crystal clear on that. No, I'm kidding. Oh. Um, no, I mean it's 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 intellectual curiosity, but it's also giving giving to the community. You know what I try and use the the show for. I mean, number one, my own edification, learning from from people who are masters of the craft, um, but also just you know helping other writers you know learn from other people as well. You know, I, my my goal is to help make myself and and my listeners better writers, and that's primarily my motivation for it. Um, And I think that's, I mean, that's kind of what I'm, you know, getting at. Like, I think that, that, um, there, there is something, um, I don't think it's true of all artists and I don't want to say, okay, this is true of, of anyone who writes or thinks. Um, but I, I think that there, that in loneliness, uh, loneliness is a, a kind of, um, I think it's ultimately where any of us begin. And that's something that Melanie Klein, the psychoanalyst talks about is that basically we, our idea of who we are begins from that separation. We realize that we're separate from our mother, like as, as very, you know, basically infants. And we realize that we're not, we're not a part of her. And then there's this sort of longing to get back to that sense of like, really that kind of like full connection that we can never, we can never achieve it. Um, and so then the loneliness becomes a sort of like evolutionary, um, you know, kind of benefit that it, it pushes us to be, to reach out to other people, to be in contact with each other. So like, you know, like hunger or like thirst, I, I get hungry and I know to eat. And so then I eat, I get thirsty and then I, my body tells me I'm thirsty. So then I have something to drink and the, the engine keeps going. Well, sometimes also the, the, you know, the body says, you know, you're lonely, you should go talk to somebody. And so loneliness in and of itself is something that should, we should have no shame attached to it. Um, But I think that like in higher levels of it, um, like if you're really hungry, and there's nothing around, you start to get creative. Well, you figure out ways to eat. And I think that like, with loneliness, that's part of it, too, you figure out ways to connect with other people. But I think also it's not, you know, really at the heart of it is a need not just for contact with people. Um, That's why you can be in the middle of a city and feel completely alone. You can be in the middle of a really busy office building and feel completely isolated. Um, It's really intimacy. It's really the depth of the relationships that you have. And that requires intimacy and intimacy is, is reciprocal. Like we have to, you know, be willing to be open to other people, but just as important as we have to be open ourselves and and receptive to other people. And so I think that like a lot of the creativity that I'm talking about, I'm interested in are people who they don't want to just express themselves. They want to be able to, or they, or I, I don't know if want is, is it, but they find ways that they um, are, are aware of what they're aware of other people's feelings enough that they create things that can speak to that. And so that like, um, if you have, um, the photographer Walker Evans, who I write about, and and Walker Evans did, I mean, he's one of the most famous photographers to ever live. And he took these clandestine pictures of people on the subway, riding the subway in New York. And he sort of did it in this really tricky way that he didn't know, that the people didn't know that he was taking their pictures, which you can do very easily nowadays. But, you know, in the 40s, that was really tricky. And, and he did it and he... Um, what he was doing was creating this he he was finding a way to catch people not posed not aware just on their own riding on the subway and he was at attuned to like wh- when are people most themselves most unguarded um but not expressing their art unguardedness be- because they're kind of in their own world and that's the pictures that he took and those are the things that he was showing to other people. And I, like I said, like 
he he is creating the conditions for intimacy and i think that that's really what i'm 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 interested in that creative um motivation like i said to create the conditions of of intimacy and that is expressing myself in a way that isn't merely confessional or cudgeling people with the things that have happened but in the expression expression of them also demonstrating my own openness to other people's feelings and i think that's you know i think that's uh that can come out of pain i think um when i think of like artists or people I, I, I listen to in terms of music or, or read is, is there, I mean, is there an, an over index of loneliness feelings of loneliness for people who create in the arts? I mean, is, is there, um, are they more lonely or do they have more feelings of loneliness than, you know, the general population? Um, I think that probably, if you if you get into it, probably. Um, I I think that um, I think that artists tend to be um, self conscious in the best way, like conscious of themselves and their um, in their emotional life. Uh, they don't control it. <laughs> um, they're you know but they're they're aware of its complexity and trying to to work through it. And I definitely think loneliness is is part of that. Um and sometimes it's also loneliness um is is again the thing that kind of pushes you to do something to reach out. Um that I would be a little more comfortable generalizing. Mm. Um but I, yeah, I think I think um yeah, I think, you know, kind of in touch with um, their emotional selves is probably it and loneliness being part of that. Yeah, because I mean, I think of, you know, um, you know, people who have self-destructed, you know, artists, uh, I think musicians, um, you know, you and I started this conversation talking on talking about music and your, your music background. But, you know, a guy like, you know, I'll pull somebody out of the 90s, you know, because I'm uh that's when I was coming of age, right? So like Chris Cornell, who, who probably played to millions of people every year, um, had a family, loving family, and, you know, commits suicide. Um, and, you know, I think of someone like that, and there's so many other cases like it, right? Um, where, you know, you seemingly on the surface, everything is great. You're surrounded by a lot of people. Um, so how can you possibly feel lonely when you have all these adoring fans coming at you, but it sounds like it's not just the number of people who are around you. And of course they've got to be the right people around you, but it's, it's your level of, or your ability to build intimacy or true, true connection with them. So it's, I guess in other words, it's a quality over quantity type thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that that's absolutely true. And, you know, um, you know, it's it's really moving and gratifying to have people sort of say those kinds of things um like oh i'm a big fan um but you know that's then they go they go away and you're you're still by yourself and like you've had your say you don't necessarily and even if they say something to you they don't it's not an ongoing relationship with those people. So, you know, Kurt Cobain or Cornell or other people like they don't, they don't have an ongoing relationship with specific enough specific people um, uh, to really feel that. I mean, I don't, I don't like to speak for them, but I mean, I think that's it. Like you can have millions of people, but it's it's the both the level of reciprocal intimacy and kind of the durability like yeah this is this is a relationship that um isn't us exchanging things 
you know, over coffee one afternoon, this is like, you know, years, like you feel like you can depend on people. And that becomes one of the factors for thinking about um, an intimacy that can um, be a, a, a kind of safety net against loneliness. Yeah. You know, I think the the casual observer might say, hey, look, look at these people. They've got so much going on. You know, they've got they've got, you know, such a, a great life. You know, why do they go and, and self-destruct like this? But the, the real reason, not the real reason, but we all have to remember, A, everybody's human, even that that rock star, you know, that screenwriter, that actor, actress, whatever. Um, we're all human. And, you know, it, it does at its core get to intimacy and and depth of relationship and um you know that's something i think we we need to understand more you know um i i've talked to so many people who who presumably had it all yet you know they write a memoir because they self-destructed at some point in time and now they're you're kind of building back up but it's um this this whole life thing is tricky right like you know you talk about being born and now we're separated from our mother and and uh, it doesn't come with an instruction manual, right? It's like we we have to figure this stuff out as as we kind of go along, and and sometimes we don't have the greatest examples, you know, from our own childhoods to to put us on the right path. No, that's true. I mean, and, and it doesn't. Life doesn't stay still. So, like you know, you if you've never been the age you are, then you don't really have anything to compare it to. And so then you might try to figure it out at that age. And then 10 years later, like, oh, wait a minute, it's, it's all different. Um, you know, that's like I talk about Rod Serling in the book, and he's a great example. I mean, he was the most lauded um, writer in Hollywood. Uh, and I mean, still is, it, you know, iconic, um, you know, creating the Twilight Zone. And he had won countless awards before that. I mean, really helped to define what television could be. And he was uh, surrounded um, by people all of the time. He was in incredible demand and yet felt this real, um, always felt this deep longing to go back to his hometown in Binghamton, New York. And Serling, you know, had been a war, literally a war hero. Uh, he had been uh, wounded in combat uh, had countless people die. His father, he was very close to his father. His father dies while he's in the Philippines fighting and the mail doesn't get to him until after his father is 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 buried and his mother has actually moved away. And, and Serling gets out of the army and goes back home and he's got no home to go back to. And home had been really, really important to him. And so in some ways, like you see this, like if you watch The Twilight Zone, that's a recurring theme is him going back to you know, like people trying to get back home um, for a home that has vanished. Um, and I mean, it's really even, I spent a lot of time talking about how loneliness is just throughout the twilight zone. And part of that is because it's coming out of his own life and um, so that's part of it too. Like it's, it's realizing that we're born into loneliness, um, and that, you know, this desire to find home is something that continually stays with us, whether we've had a good childhood or not. I mean, sometimes it's to get back to the childhood that we so fondly remember, or it's to get to the childhood that we had idealized, but never had. It's a place where, um, longing is resolved as belonging. Yeah. Well, fascinating stuff on loneliness. And, you know, importantly, you're not you're not trying to cure loneliness here. Right. I mean, it's it's uh, it's more addressing it and again, using it to show how it can fuel uh, and, and what it can teach us about creativity. I think it's I think it's awesome. Well, thanks. Yeah, I think ultimately all the stories are, are really kind of hopeful. It doesn't it doesn't cure. But how do we make use of it if this is if this is you know, something that we struggle with, how do we make something uh, out of it and with it? Yeah, you know, it's, there is a tension there, though, because, you know, in society, especially this time of year, we, you know, we're told it's, it's not okay to be lonely, or like, you know, 
every silly Hallmark movie that I watch, and I will admit to watching them, um, is is about trying to find you know somebody's you know other half, right? <laughs> or their missing piece somehow. Um, and you know we're kind of taught you know, culturally that you know it's not okay to be lonely. You know we we always have to find our person. Um, it's better to be with groups of people. It's better to be social than it is to be, you know, maybe withdrawn um, or uh, introverted. It's probably a, a more positive way of saying it. Um, but but I, I kind of disagree with that too. I mean, I think it's okay to 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 be lonely and to feel loneliness. Um, and to your to your point, there's there's a, a evolutionary benefit to it. But but I also think like we we almost do ourselves and our, and sort of our our kids a disservice by this message of hey it's it's not okay to be lonely so go out and find your person. Yeah, I mean I think that that's absolutely true. I mean like it, you know that's part of that stigma that's attached to it. I mean you know someone was talking to me the other day about how you know to say I'm lonely immediately sounds like. Uh, uh, someone saying, I feel needy. And this is, I mean, this is the problem that we have a tendency to, to blur need into neediness, um, which is just the pejorative version. Well, I mean, it's okay to feel that. I think it's okay to feel that need. And, and we, I mean, we do ultimately. And if it is part of that human condition, then, um, you know, there are things that we can do about it, but I don't think like if you really if you have chronic loneliness, like just joining a club isn't going to do it. Um, and I think that like this is the this is the, the, the recurring theme and the people that I looked at is that they and hopefully in some ways myself, I mean, I was certainly learning from them was um, the loneliness was something that they really knew and knew well. Um, but rather than running from it, they wanted to try to understand it, especially since it like, you know, a, a corollary to what you're, you're talking about, Mike, is that like, if that is something that we feel and is something about who we are, if we run from it, if we hide from it, if we pretend it doesn't exist, then we're running and hiding and pretending a part of us doesn't exist. And that leaves a lot of our lives unexamined. And that's. I mean, from the tradition I come from, you know, the unexamined life is not worth living. And, you know, I, 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 I want to be able to, to look at it and, and know it and acknowledge it and come to, to have, to find its place in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's hard to live an authentic life if you're denying, you know, a core part of, of who you are. And uh, yeah. I think it's we're all all kind of called to do is lead some kind of authentic life and uh, easier said than done. But uh, yeah, denying that part of self will will certainly not get you there. Oh, for sure. And it's an ongoing struggle, but that's what makes it worth doing, I think. And if we could do it really easily, then it wouldn't really, you know, what else would you do after that? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's right. People wouldn't spend years writing books. They would uh, probably do something else. Exactly. Um, yeah. One of the Louis, I'd like to get to know my uh, guests a little bit more is through some pop culture questions. So I'm curious, Richard, when you were growing up, uh, taking a, a trip back in time, what were your, some of your favorite things to watch on TV? Uh, the Twilight Zone. Um, that, was, yeah, that was definitely something that uh, I watched a lot. And, and, and that's why... I, you know, I turned to watch it again, and this is my chapter on Rod Sarling begins this way, because my beloved had a residency and was uh, away. She was in upstate, or Western Massachusetts for about three months, and so I was like, oh, I'm just going to watch these, like, kind of in order. I had never done it really systematically, and that's and I just was like, oh, maybe those will kind of reconnect me with uh, being a kid, and that's where I realized, oh, it's really about loneliness. So. So the Twilight Zone was was probably, you know, one of the the key ones. Um, and then also, I would say, um, you know, growing up outside uh, Boston, Massachusetts, the creature double feature on Channel 56. Absolutely important to me and my sense of uh, my childhood. 
Do you um do you have a favorite Twilight Zone episode? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, probably the f- the first one, which is the one I write about, which is uh, where is everybody? And um, this guy in a flight suit wanders into a town, and he the town uh, is completely empty, but it's as if he's just missed people. So there's like a cigarette burning in an ashtray and water boiling on the stove and a phone rings. And just as he gets there, it hangs up. Um, yeah, that one really, I think, um, is, is, is incredibly profound and beautiful. And it's one of the ones that really stick out, um, for me as like setting the whole tone of that show. Yeah. Uh, I know you, uh, you're a musician. What, what, were some of the bands or types of music you like to listen to in your younger days? Well, I was, um, yeah, I really liked, uh, a, a big range of things. I wanted to be like a studio drummer was, was my dream. And so I loved everything from Van Halen and Aerosmith to, uh, Tom Waits to, um, uh, to Judas Priest, but I also really love jazz. Um, and that became, you know, a real, real passion of mine. Um, uh, and that's really what I was kind of in school for was, was to study jazz. And I, and that was really, really, um, yeah, it was really powerful for me. And I, if we have time for an anecdote, I'll give a quick anecdote. Sure, Go ahead. So this was, and it's, it has, I think, to do with loneliness. And it's also for me, my absolute sense of what art is for. So this was years and years ago. Uh, and I was in music school. I was in Boston. Um, I think it was the summer. And uh, I was in the old Tower Records. And Tower had this special room, a big room that was all jazz. And it was soundproof. So you, if you were in there, you only heard what they were playing there. And, and it was a Friday night and I, um, I wasn't, hadn't started the night's drinking yet, but I was by myself. And so I was sort of lonely and it was night. It was dark. It was about eight o'clock at night. And I remember there was a, a bookcase and I was at the look, I was crouched down I pulled a book out from the bottom shelf and I was looking at it, just crouched down on the floor. And Tower had these monitors in the center of the room and they would play a video and the music would be coming from there. And, but it was all the same, the same thing. And I remember looking through this book and just before I even realized it, I was looking up at the monitor and it was Miles Davis playing from a late Paris concert um, and I believe it was his cover of Cindy Lauper's Time After Time. Just really beautiful. And I just was mem- mesmerized, crouched down, looking at that. And so much that I didn't even remember looking up. And then as Miles was playing the solo, I looked around the room. Like just my eye kind of dropped and I looked around the room. There was about 12 people in there. And every single person had stopped what they were doing and was looking at the at the video at the monitor and listening to Miles Davis. Even there was somebody at the cash register handing money over for to buy a CD. And so the the um, the customer was handing over the money. The cashier was reaching out for the money. Even both of them had stopped in the middle of the transaction and were looking at the video. It's the whole room, all of us separate, all of us you know, acting independently had frozen to listen to Miles play that solo. And I realized that to me is what whatever form music or writing or dance, whatever, it doesn't matter to me. Like that's what what art is really about. That moment of us being um, separately, but collectively captured in a moment of insight and possibility of what human beings can achieve. And I, and I, you know, that's the thing that I think we should all as writers aspire to. Yeah. Finding ways to, to 
make people feel interconnected. Um, that's a, that's a great story. I could, I could see that story unfolding as you're talking about it. Um, I'm curious, uh, Richard, if, if you could go back in time and whisper some words of advice into the ears of your younger self, what would you tell the younger Richard? Um, probably don't eat trans fats. <laughs> um that would be up there um you know i i don't i i mean i don't i don't know i i mean i always sort of think i'd be more interested to hear what he would whisper into my ear Ooh. um you know because i think in some ways that's the thing that's still uh I, I need to hear. Um, yeah. I mean, really ultimately that. <clears throat> Interesting. Very. It's the first time I've ever had uh, someone give their younger self dietary advice. <laughs> 317 <laughs> episodes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, look, hey, it's it's uh, it's it's all good. Uh, well, Richard, this has been a a fun conversation. Where where can uh, listeners buy this exquisite loneliness? What loners, outcasts, and the misunderstood can teach us about creativity? This exquisite loneliness is published by Viking Penguin, so pretty much any bookstore, and certainly online, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, independentbooks.com. I mean, all of those places. It's 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 pretty much everywhere available to get. And where can people uh, connect with you if they wanted to either uh, visit a website or, or follow you on social media? Well, sadly, I'm pretty much not on social media or not sadly for me. Um, <laughs> if they need to, um, uh, a press does kind of hold a page for me. That's phylumpress.com. Uh, uh, but also you can also check me out on on. Um, my faculty page at, at Yale University. There you go. And maybe uh, maybe one of our listeners will uh, wind up in your class someday. Who knows? That would be great. That would there be you great. You come ready to play. Bring their A game. <laughs> Very good. Well, Richard, uh, thank you so much for stopping by Uncorking a Story and letting me uncork yours. Mike, this is really terrific. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.